bet if, if at the time you were someone who smoked weed and were told that you're a fucking loser for smoking weed and that, you, you know, all the idiots smoke weed and then you see that and you see a character people like that's represented on film and is funny and who's high and you see everyone rooting for the character and being entertained by the character, it's 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 cathartic in a way, you know? <laughs> see, in a way, I feel the secret to your success. And I, can't, I, have, I don't have you totally figured out, but <laughs> yeah. I think you're sincere when you say that you don't look at a film as like, oh, wow, this is going to be a multi-billionaire, billion-dollar uh, success. You kind of really are true to form. I remember when I was uh, considering making Fartman the movie, and I had a deal to make the movie. The guy who wrote the script was J.F. Lawton, who had just written Under Siege and Pretty Woman. I mean, a major oh, wow. guy. Yeah. And I remember I, I couldn't pull the trigger. I couldn't. I, I, I said, I, this, this might just be the end of, uh, of me because it's too out there. Fartman was yeah. way out there. And by the way, the star, one of the stars of the movie was Donald Trump because he was trying to take over Central Park and, and buy it up in the movie. And so, I, in a sense, it was a cowardly you moment. You could have saved us. You farting on him could have yeah, saved I know. us. I know. He would have had a major film screen. But in a, way, yeah, exactly. in a way, I wanted a success financially because I wanted to prove that I could be in a financially successful movie and, and be a, an acclaimed movie. And in a sense, it held me back from making Fartman, which I think would have been a really funny movie. Yeah. You, in a sense, will take a ridiculous premise. You know, and you will go with it and you will pitch it to a studio and you will do it. And you might even know that this is not going to be a mainstream film. And I and I do admire that 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 part of you that says, fuck it. I'm just going to go do it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the the unfortunate or fortunate truth is for me, it's impossible to predict what movies are going to do well. And I don't have a lot of control over that. And the only thing. I can control, and even this, you know, I just do my best to control it, is like the actual quality of the film, and and I can just work really hard to try to make it as good a film as I can, you know, with with the team that I have working with me. And, and that, to me, I've seen over the years, is actually much more important than making a successful film. Like, I mean, like, like The Green Hornet made $250 million. It is the most successful movie I've ever made. It was a successful movie. No one talks about it like that because people don't think it was a very good movie. Pineapple Express made $85 million, but people really liked it. And they still talk about it all the time. And they still watch it all the time. And it, and, and it's still very culturally relevant, it seems, in a lot of ways. You know, So I think like that's what I've seen is like it's impossible to predict what movies do well. And even a few years later, it doesn't matter if they did well or not, if it's not something people like. And conversely, you can make a movie that does not do well, but is good, and then finds an audience. And if 10 years later, you look around, and you're like, everyone's seen this movie, and it's on TV all the time. And it's just kind of worked its way into culture somehow, you know, because people just like it. And that's been kind of how I look at it is is all I can try to do is make good movies movies that people like movies that stick around for a few years movies that are generally viewed as work that has had a lot of thought and effort put into them and and that's it and I've seen that when we do that more times than not 
it creates a product that people like and that people will appreciate. And years later, people still appreciate it. And as far as whether it did well or not, like it, that is like much more fleeting and, and, and also something I just can't control. And I've found that if we just keep making more good movies than bad ones, people will give us the shot to keep making more movies. And that's really all we're looking right. for. You, you always want to make money with your movies, not necessarily for your own financial gain, but you want to be able to make more of them because you have so many ideas. Yeah, but uh, it's easy to, but, but I think the thing that allows studios to keep banking on us more so than looking at, Oh, they've made these successful movies and these unsuccessful movies is that generally their movies turn out well. And that is a good product is, you know, is a good place to start. And I think everyone understands that when they're trying to sell something is it's a lot easier to sell a good thing than a bad thing. And in general, knock on wood, more movies that we've made have turned out good than bad. And so I think when a studio is looking like, who should I give money to to make a movie? Um, people who generally make movies that turn out pretty well is, is, is in some ways a safer bet than people who make movies that suck, but tend to keep doing well, you know what I mean? Because that, that, that might be hard to decipher why that's happening. And, and in some ways is, is scarier to try to get yourself into that, I would imagine, you know? Did you ever have a movie that you thought was going to be so great, but it was so out there that when you went around with, and pitched it to actual businessmen who have to put up money and, and they, it was rejected by every single studio where like you still have this movie in your head, but they just don't get it? Um... Uh, there's no we, we we've we've eventually made we've we've eventually made everything but it's right. we don't give up if we think it's a good idea then we don't give up on it like uh, we just don't stop uh, and and that's <laughs> like we've never there are some ideas that have taken you know that are still in the phase of like okay we've been working on this for five or six years we have not cracked it yet really but it's still an idea that i think will be a good movie one day and we should not just throw it in the garbage um that happens but like time and it's an annoying thing but like something just take time sometimes you just gotta think about something for years before you figure it out and like and sometimes there's no way to figure it out without having thought about it for years and and no amount of time in one moment could fix that and creativity works weirdly sometimes but i find that like for some things like they are good because they took a long time, you know? Is it because, um, is it, is the problem that, uh, some ideas are almost like a sketch? Uh, yeah. they're not, they're not fully formed. And a sketch is what it is. It's not a full painting. When you take something to a, a studio and you say, I want to make a movie, then it's a full painting. You've got a full idea on where this thing is going. For sure. And sometimes like we, we start with like an experience we want to give the audience even not like an, a, a, a character or a clear plot or story. We'll start with like, Oh, like this type of event, like that's how pineapple express kind of came around. It was like, Oh, like a, you know, like an eighties action movie starring potheads. Like that was kind of like, and that's a very general starting place, you know? So it takes a long time. We didn't start with like, Oh, a weed dealer and his, and his client and they witnessed a murder. Like it took us years to get to that. It started more of like this general 
feeling that me and my partner had of like imagine being in a theater and being stoned and watching people smoking joints and shooting machine guns and running away from criminals and getting in car chases while they're high like that was the starting place and then from there we're like okay how do we make that into something that actually fucking makes sense and is a movie and has all the things a movie needs to have you know so seth Um, why won't these studios why wouldn't they jump at the idea of a a pineapple express too if the thing made 85 million dollars which is i i assume a lot of money i think uh, it was just i think we probably wanted too much money i think like they because they never want to pay because we made the first one no one got paid anything and that's why it was it was like a 25 million dollar movie you know and that's why it became highly 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 profitable is because it was made really cheaply especially for an action movie and then you know it's still on netflix you know so um i think yeah i mean studios are just they don't like giving away money Weird, yeah. weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you have a concept in your head that you've had for years that you just can't figure out how to make it into a movie? In other words, you've got this great fucking idea. You and your writing partner have put it in a file. What do you do? Do you have like a file of ideas? Like a uh-huh. literally, a, yeah, like literally a file, like a file in your computer yeah, with these cool. ideas. And yeah. is there this one idea that nags at you, but you can't figure out how to make it into a movie? Yeah, there's a few of them, for sure. One that we've been one. talking about for 10 years plus. We, <laughs> we've we had an idea for a long time about, like, it's like aliens come to Earth, and they're like, we're going to test you, and the planet will live or die based on how you deal with this test. And we're going to pick one human representative to be the vanguard of all of humanity. And I get picked as that person. Um, and so, and, and that, and that's the idea, but and that's a great have, premise. That's a good premise, but that's, you know, around eight years later, that's still all we have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and how often do you and your writing partner pull that out of this, uh, virtual folder and say well look there's that idea again well often what happens is you combine ideas and that is something that i think like sometimes someone else will pitch us something and they'll be like oh i have an idea for this alien thing or something and we were like oh maybe actually like we've had this idea maybe they can kind of link them together and that's what i think probably will happen one day with that idea is someone else will come to us with another idea that that idea kind of supports more than anything you know but yeah that's something we've been talking about for years and we've just like that's all we got. <laughs> no, because it's hard. It, it's just hard because, like, you could start asking questions like, why do the aliens pick you? Exactly. Over- well, yeah. we, we had an idea that they actually pick, like, ten people, and then everyone else gets killed very early on in the, in the, in the, in the <laughs> test. <laughs> Isn't that true, though, of most movies? Like, I remember after I made my first movie, and only movie, that uh, movie, I got – Thank you. I got pit. Well, I got stifled in a way by that. I felt the movie was so good that I could never do another one. In fact, I'm thinking of a premise that was pitched to me that was so brilliant about me being the last man on earth who could actually um, still produce babies. I had the only active <laughs> sperm. It was a great story about this uh, garbage man. It was pitched to me and it was great. I thought it was brilliant, but I didn't make the movie because that's what was great about it. It didn't yeah. really go anywhere that I thought you would want. To continue with this character, no, for sure, and some and some movies get made like that, and I, it's like some movies are like scams where like it's like buying blueprints to a house that look nice, but then when you try to actually build the house, it doesn't stand up properly. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, that is a thing that 
that happens with films and and I recognize it sometimes where I will see a movie and be like, oh, they they lied to like whoever wrote and directed this movie lied and like <laughs> this this is not a, like they made it seem like they were selling the studio an actual functional film but they did not they they sold them like the schematics of a movie that when built does not hold up to stress testing you know um and and that happens that happens sometimes you know where people will just have a premise that's so good that it kind of blinds again imagine a drawing of a house that's so amazing that you don't think like, oh, nothing's holding that wall up and that chunk of the ceiling would fall down. And that's why it looks cool. But it also is impossible to create, you know. So it's really true what they say. Like, like if the script isn't solid, the idea that you're going to go on a movie set where millions of dollars are being spent and you're going to kind of wing it and like, you know what, uh, we're hiring funny people. They'll they'll kind of improv through a scene or uh, we'll figure it out when we're on the set. It would be like a musician going, uh, hey, I'll uh, show up at the studio and uh, I'm not going to put any thought in before and I'm going to develop the song while I'm there. And it hardly ever happens. For sure. And I think like that's something also like it's probably a big misconception when people hear we like improvise on set a lot is like we're improvising dialogue, which is in many ways the last thing to come when writing a movie. Like you have your plot, you have your story. In other words, you have like what the characters are feeling and then you have what your characters are physically experiencing and how those two things weave together and play off of one another. That is the most important part of filmmaking is how plot and story intersect and weave between one another. Dialogue is an expression of that. And if those two things are really well figured out, then you can have actors improvise if they're good and understand how movies function. Um, but without those two things, like you've, you've just entered yourself into like a movie Ponzi scheme where like it, it yes. doesn't work, you know? And, and that's what happens a lot is people, are sold on things that just don't function, you know? Um, and, and that's where we spend the most amount of time is making sure the script functions well, you know, and making sure the story and the plot makes sense. And the emotional story is one that we believe in and, and resonates with us. Cause that's the other thing is these things take forever to make. And it has, to, it, it really needs to be about something that you strongly connect to, or you'll just get sick of working on it. You know, like it, it, it can't just be like a thing you think is funny because then, you'll get bored of it. You'll start thinking something else is funny. It has to be really about something that you yourself, like, relate to, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I think some peeps, some actors and writers, they tend to demonize studio executives. And in a way, that's kind of an unfair characterization because, you know, they have a right to ask questions. They're spending a lot of money. And if you are a good uh, kind of pitch guy, uh, you can kind of sell them a bill of goods, you know, and you're yeah. right. If if the structure isn't in the movie, if the script isn't really locked down, this bullshit of going and winging it. I mean, it, it, I feel bad for the studio executive who gets sold that bill of goods. No, for sure. And I've honestly been like called by studio executives to help on movies where that's happened. <laughs> where they're like, well, they, they, they got us. Can you help us fix right. this? You know? Um, and yeah, and I will watch it and say like, oh yeah, they got you. This is not a real movie. <laughs> Have you actually done that though? Have you said to a studio executive, look, uh, you did get sold a bill of goods here. I do agree with you. You're this, this, these, the, the things I'm looking at here are horrible. And have you actually gone in and tried to help out a movie? Yes, I've been paid to do that uh, several times. As like a writer, that's something that you get paid to do is like, um, yeah, go in and help on movies that have been made already. Yeah. 
What's a movie that you uh, had to go in on because it was a fucking mess? I mean, I'm going to I will only say this because it was reported and I'm going to tread lightly because I am close with many of the people involved. But I, I did that on the Dr. Doolittle film a little bit uh, that came oh, no out kid. last year. <laughs> yeah. Or was that this year? Yeah, <laughs> that was um, uh, who was Robert Downey Jr. Jr. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, right. Oh, so they called you and said, hey, we're having, oh, the studio called you or that Robert called you and said, hey, uh, we need your help. I'm not sure who it came from originally. I talked, I, I talked to both at length, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, that's one where they were having problems with the movie and we're calling in people to help kind of that get a, to the bottom of it. Is that a fun experience in the sense that you, you don't have anything emotionally invested in the film. They're offering you a shitload of dough to come in and be like Jesus Christ and save their movie. You are the savior. I mean, uh, I would imagine that's pretty heady stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a very like, <laughs> it's a cushy, on the grand scale of positions to be in as a writer, it's it's a cushy position to be in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> stakes are low for you personally <laughs> in that right. role, um, which is nice. Uh, but it's also like, you want to help. I mean, and that's what's also, you know, like, uh, I... I like movies and I like also, I, I, I like the actors in that movie and I want, I, I don't want anyone to not be happy with a movie and I, and Universal who made that movie, like has been very supportive of me and my career and made a lot of our movies and I like the people who work there. So it's not like, you know, there's some sense of like, you want to come in and just tell them how badly everything's all fucked up, but like, I genuinely want to make things better if I can. <laughs> but I could see a whirlwind of uh, problems when you have to come in and you have to be honest and you have to sit there with everybody involved who's been working so hard on this movie and say, look, guys, this is bullshit. Uh, you know, uh, and, and and do you want your name on that movie if the movie's not going well? I would imagine you just kind of want it kept quiet. Yeah, I mean, my name, I was nowhere, was not ever going to be on it, you know, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I mean, my name's on some films that are probably not fantastic and ultimately doesn't do that much damage, I think, as long as you <laughs> keep moving forward. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have a romantic view of that, like being one of the few people in Hollywood where they call you up and say, hey, we need your help. Uh, we have a movie here. We don't think it's going well. I think that's really that's like almost like being a gunslinger in the wild, wild west. <laughs> like, you know, you have a you have this skill uh, where there are these people who are spending tons of money are really depending on you to come in and save it. That's pretty fucking heady. It is interesting. And it is not a position I ever found myself to be in. And I was actually been on the other side of it before where I've been fighting the studio from bringing other people in to come help with our movies. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I remember like, honestly, I remember 40 year old Virgin was the first movie we all really made together. The studio shut us down a week in and like hired a producer to like supervise us on set every day, basically, because <laughs> they didn't think we knew what the fuck we were doing. So like we started out on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> well, that's funny. I wonder if you're ever like the guy they look at like on these movies and go hey fuck this guy seth rogan coming in and oh, helping us with it. i'm for sure like a narc to a lot of these people yeah <laughs> oh my god oh that is so funny yeah because you probably hated the guy i'm 40 year old virgin who came in and had a, was assigned to helping you i did it first but then what's funny his name's john paul and he's like was the nicest sweetest guy in the world and was ultimately so helpful and he literally came in being like i've been hired as the studio narc i'm on your side i'm gonna be nice i'm gonna be cool not gonna do anything weird like right away we're like oh this guy's fucking great 
great. And he was actually really helpful. He's a brilliant editor. He's one of the greatest comedy editors of all time. And so he was, he was truly additive to the, to the whole experience. And he, every once in a while, he was just like, you might want to get a shot of this. It might help over editing. And like, we'd be like, great. None of us have made a movie before. This is very helpful. <laughs> you know, it's wild. Years ago, I knew nothing about Hollywood, but I heard about this guy that was like a script doctor. He would come in on movies that were shitty yeah. and he would, his name was Babalu Mandel. Oh, I don't of course, Logans and, Logans and Babalu Mandel are two, yeah, see, two of the greatest uh, comedy writers of all time, yeah. To this day, I don't know who these guys are. I just knew that, I go, this guy's got a great name, Babalu Mandel, and he <laughs> evidently comes work. in, oh, they do. They, yeah, I think so. Logans and Babalu Mandel were a great comedy writing team in the 90s. They wrote, I think, City Slickers and mm -hmm. uh, um, a lot of those, like, Billy Crystal, they might have written the original Parenthood movie, like, or they wrote like these great movies. They're hilarious. And they are still, I think they are still to this day, like high paid Hollywood script doctors, if they are both still living. So here's the ultimate question that I can't forget to ask you before this thing is over. During yes. COVID-19 and you being an enthusiast of weed, would you share yes. a joint with anybody during these times? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone's sharing a joint again anytime soon. So Baba Bowie, you know Baba Bowie, who works on the show. He um, He's describing to me, went over a friend's house. You know, they were socially distancing, blah, 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 blah. I guess they were drinking. And he, uh, He's even wearing a mask. He was wearing a mask, doing all the things. And he, he smoked a joint. He, uh, he shared a joint with a guy. And I go, are you out of your fucking mind? He goes, it was the stupidest thing I ever did. Okay, I will hey. give a little context to this if I could. Um, it wasn't uh, a yeah. joint. It was yeah. a pipe. Okay. And again, we were drunk. Did so you we wave the, the lighter over the mouthpiece first? <laughs> no, we, 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 wiped the pipe, we wiped the pipe down with an alcohol rub. That's all, okay. 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 I'd say okay. That's, Come that's, on. Don't encourage this behavior. He's the popper. <laughs> Mitigating your risk, if nothing else. I still don't know if I would I don't know if I'd I like that. It necessarily. I like that you're such a weed expert that you go, okay, okay, that's all right with the alcohol. And Gary goes, yes, you see, he's he's the expert. You know, like you know anything. Seth said so. Yeah. Um, I, 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 until there is a vaccine, I am not sharing joints with anybody, and I'm and I'm I'm lacing all my joints with the COVID vaccine as soon as it is available. Now I'm going to confess something right now, and this is such yeah. a weird thought. And you know how much I love interviewing you and being with you, and I, I, I really do. I, I mean that sincerely, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm so happy with you with the new movie and all of this, and I, I like you playing a, a Polish Jew who was <laughs> attacked by Cossacks and all that. I said to myself, while I was talking to you this morning, we've been talking for some time, I said, I'll know if I'm doing an engaging interview for Seth Rogen. If he doesn't pick up that joint and smoke it hey, while I'm talking you to him. <laughs> You've done and, it. <laughs> yeah. And I got through the whole interview and you, yeah. I knew you had weed there and I know you could have picked up the joint. I said, I'm doing my job well. You because are. Seth Rogen didn't sit there and say, give me a fucking joint so <laughs> I can get through this. He didn't hardly drink his coffee. You didn't and, give yeah. him room for anything. <laughs> Which, and that has been one of the great joys of all this is I've finally been able to smoke weed while I do press, which is all I've ever wanted. <laughs> but, I, but, but you were too engaging today. You got me. <laughs> I kept you going, man. I, I was playing a game with myself in my head saying, I'm you not going to let. I don't even you, want him thinking about weed. You so got the, me there. Right. You know, so the one thing I'm noticing, Howard, is he's got that whole thing down. He's got the beard back, mm -hmm. and he plays with it. 
I do. Continually. Yeah. I do. Too. I, I don't have the beard that Seth has, but I do pick at this thing that I've got that these little hairs on my face all the time. Yeah, so he even leans his head back and starts to yeah. twist things. That's you know, what, he's doing that's a what whole having, thing there. Ha- having a beard makes it makes you instantly go from someone who just looks like they're zoning out to someone who's kind of thinking and contemplating. <laughs> and that's what's, that's what's nice about a beard. It's like 90% of the time I'm thinking of nothing. But with the beard, it makes it really seem like I, I, there's, there's something going on up there. It's working. It's working. Yeah, Seth, you're right. you can see in my head it's just like it's like a hamster on a wheel, but it, it, <laughs> in real life it makes it, it looks very deep. <laughs> what is Seth Rogen saying today? He's saying number one, he stars in an American Pickle, which premieres yes. August sixth on HBO Max. Um, uh, he wants you to watch it. I think you'll I really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I think. I think Seth really shows up. Big laughs in it, and it's very emotional too. Yeah, I think you know. I think people will really love the movie, and so uh, he he wants you to watch it. He's also um, he's also available to come in and fix your movie if it's all fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, anybody out there writing or in the middle of comedy gunslinger, send it over. filmed already that makes it easier (laughs) i feel you're very wise it may be during these difficult times we have racial unrest we have uh certainly a a a pandemic pandemic anti-semitism's on the rise anti-semitism's on the rise everything bad is on the rise by the way, let's remind people, there's only 14 million Jews. How much could they really be controlling? Think about it. <laughs> I mean, honestly. They're controlling 7 billion people. Yeah, I mean, do you think that, you're so... That would be... Th- how many people per Jew is that? <laughs> that's right. That's not a real, big, that is a big workload. <laughs> I'm, I'm not real good at math, but that's no. like, like... That's almost like uh, one Jew is controlling a, a billion goyim uh, yeah, all that's day. A, that's like 500 million goyim <laughs> Per Jew to control. Jew, yeah. yes. That's, I mean, a That's a lot of overhead. That's a big workflow. <laughs> I can honestly tell you, I don't. I, I know many Jews who are broke. They have no money. <laughs> they have no control. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you that uh, if you're blaming the Jews for your problems, get another fucking person to blame because uh, or really. you could actually say that broke Jew is probably running that neighborhood over there that's broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, did you did, you went to Hebrew school, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, we, when I look back on that, was that not the biggest waste of time in your life? When you're on your deathbed, are you going to be like me sitting there going, what the fuck? I mean, couldn't you have learned to play guitar in that time? I could have been Jimmy Hendrix. I could have been Howard Van Halen if I had just practiced exactly. guitar. I mean, was it not the biggest waste of time? I don't know. Are you a super religious person? I mean, uh, I don't no, know. No, I'm not a super religious person at all. I think... I mean, culturally, I'm glad I know a lot about Judaism, which I do. I do think I was, uh, you know, I don't know if everything I was taught was 100% accurate, but I don't know if anything about religion is accurate because in general organized religion, I think, is highly fictionalized. (laughs) So um, it's hard to say I was taught inaccurate things about something that was likely not real. Um, But I think that, yeah, I have, I'd say, and I think this is what the movie gets into. I have a complex relationship with my Judaism. I at once feel like I was taught things that, you know, I was 
you know, that, that perhaps A, are not rooted in any sort of reality in any way, shape or form, <laughs> and B, just kind of confused my my vision of the world in some ways, but also... I am a Jewish person. I, I, it is inextractable from my DNA comes back Jewish person, you know? Um, and I was raised by Jewish people. My grandparents are Jewish. The only reason I am in North America is because someone was trying to kill my family in Eastern Europe. Like I, I understand all that and it, it is a part of who I am. And I, I was raised understanding that people hate Jews very deeply. And that's also something that I think is very helpful for Jews to know, you know, and, 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 and is is all a part of my identity, but it is a very complex, it's a complicated thing, you know, and I think a lot of Jews are uncomfortable talking about it even um, because it's, it is complicated and it's messy, you know, honestly. And I think a lot of Jewish people are stuck in this place of wanting to be truly progressive, but also connected to their past. And that's, um, those two things just by definition are a little bit at odds, you know? And so that's what the movie really gets into, you know? Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point. There's a lot of shame uh, associated with being Jewish and being the outcast because, uh, you know, you're part of such a small minority. That, and you didn't uh, choose it. You know, you yeah, don't want, who wants of, to be an outcast yeah, right? Just because of the know. way they were born or where they were born or who they were born to. Well, that's why yeah. I was. I still continue to be a very big supporter of Israel because uh, I still believe uh, Jews need a place in the world. We see the rise of anti-Semitism. Jews still need a place in the world to go if if the shit hits the fan. They just need it, and uh, there's no denying it. Uh, you know, unless unless we unless unless we can all go to the Mars. Uh, yeah, but how are you going to get why there? Don't we all go you to, don't we, like we to travel. To, why don't we all go to Canada? There are more, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, make it someplace close. <laughs> All right, I'm going to test you on being Jewish. You ready? Okay, yeah. Baruch Hu Adonai Hambarach. Baruch Adonai Hambarach. Very good. Okay, all right. Thank you. You're up on that. I got the tune right. That is so Jewy. You are very... Just need to know the tune more than anything. Look at you. Look at you. Have you gone to Israel? I have never been. I will not go anywhere. I have complete xenophobia. I'm not going. Say, in, what is, I'm not, what is, good is Israel to him? <laughs> no good to me, but for the rest of you, uh, you know, I think you all need it. But uh, that's that's my fault. I, you know, I feel I feel like uh, anti Semites might go after Seth, but probably not me. Everybody likes me. <laughs> Most anti Semites like me, actually. Believe it or not, they always go to me. Yeah, you're not all Jewy like that guy over there. So <laughs> there you go. Look so at you. you Look at you, Mr. Successful Hollywood. All right, so give us, before you leave, give us some fucking words of wisdom with the the unrest. Some inspiration. Yeah, say something. Don't look to me for answers. (laughs) (laughs) That is is my words of wisdom. I am. Uh, I am not your place for answers. I am. I, but hopefully, I. Uh, I made a movie that you all might enjoy. <laughs> and while you're locked in, in, yes. While you're locked in there, um, yeah. I mean, that's what's funny. Also, is like you know, we all come here and talk about everything. But like, I'm not an. You know, I make movies. That's that is what I'm an expert in. I'll talk about anything, but I. I don't claim to be an expert in any of it. Uh, but it's <laughs> funny when, and and uh, a lot of people, I think. Uh, I think you are being very, uh, you're downplaying your importance in the world. Um, uh, answer the true question. When will we have a vaccine, Seth Rogen? <laughs> 
I've been talking to Fauci. We're on constant calls. I will not share a joint with him, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask as soon as Gary uh, says it's okay. That's when I'll start sharing joints again. <laughs> By the way, um, speaking of Fauci, did you see that Brad Pitt is nominated for an Emmy for playing Fauci on Saturday Night Live? I, I like Brad Pitt as much as the next guy, but what, what is that all about? I mean, uh, I saw that performance. I mean, what do that we was Brad like? Pitt? That's what it's like to be Brad Pitt. They, like, I know. You just that show Brad, up. I know. Brad Pitt doesn't even remember he did that. And he got an Emmy nomination <laughs> for it. <laughs> this is evidence, that's, that's as Robin just said. That's how this, great it is to be Brad Pitt. That, <laughs> yeah, that is evidence that being Brad Pitt is still great. That he <laughs> we went on Saturday Night Live, did a, a half-assed impression of uh, Anthony Fauci, and now and he's he got a an nominee. Now he got an it's Emmy true. nomination. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I'm producing four TV shows. We can't get like, we're, we're scrapping it out. Brad Pitt's like wandering from his bathroom to his kitchen and films a sketch on the way and gets an Emmy nomination. But. You just spent a year of your life learning how to speak Yiddish for a role exactly. and you'll never see an Emmy nomination. All I'm hoping for is to not get destroyed by critics for it. And he gets Emmy nomination. When does that, well, by the way, speaking of critics, when does the movie uh, an American pickle get when, when does that, um, uh, get reviewed? When do you get that kind of feedback? I have no idea. Probably. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I think that, I think the reviewers are going to say you did a good job with the accent. I, so. I really felt you did. That's all I can hope. <laughs> all right, now look, go smoke your weed. I can tell you get Nancy. I gotta let you go do that. The wind down is oh, you do long wind down sometimes. It always feels like it's about to end. I I never know what the last thing is. (laughs) I feel like you're ready now to reach for that joint. It's time to stop. You've wound me down for too long. (laughs) Yeah, I I wore you out. It's it's uh, that's that's what I do to people. It's like uh, torture. (laughs) Exactly. Not at all. Anytime. I love to do it. All right. I I love you and uh, congratulations on the movie and Seth Rogen star. In American Pickle, premiering August 6th on HBO Max. Watch him fall into a vat of pickle juice and be preserved for a hundred years, only to come back and haunt his great great. I guess it's your great great grandson. Yeah. Uh, my great great grandson, yes. Yeah, great great grandson. Okay. And he's in perfect shape when he comes out of the pickle vat. That's the thing. A pickle looks a little shriveled. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know. understand he's in better, that. Better shape than I've ever been. The science, I'll, I will, I will, I will concede. The science is not a hundred percent up to stuff. And by the way, the director did a nice job. I don't know who this guy is, but when he pulls back, he does this backward camera move where you're falling into the pickle thing, and the, the yeah. mice are chasing you. I thought yeah. that was rather artistic, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, no, it's I a like great. It. Brandon Brandon Trost, the director, did a very good job. Yeah, good guy. Yeah, right. He's been our all cinematographer right. for years. Um, yeah, he's shot almost all our films. Yeah, nice job. Look at you. Yeah. All right. Listen, I'll let you go. What are you doing the rest of the day? You promoting the movie? Uh, no, I don't think I have any other interviews today. I think I'm just uh, writing and shit. Writing and then maybe some pottery, huh? Maybe yeah. some pottery. Maybe some writing. Maybe some pottery. Yeah. What a fucking life. <laughs> what are you I'm, doing for food? You cooking or uh, you got somebody? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we get groceries uh, delivered from a person and we make a lot of, uh, microwavable, uh, chicken fingers and uh, pizzas and shit like that. <laughs> you don't have like a personal chef? Um, no, I know, no, like in my home. Yeah. Sometimes you got uh, anybody cleaning in your house? Our, uh, yes. Someone, uh, we, we have a cleaning woman. And what does she do? You're letting her come and go. 
I yes, she, she. I mean, she did not for a very long time, and we are the only people who's how she cleans, and so she, uh, she, she has come back. <laughs> and she's wearing a mask. Um, I mean, we're kind of loose on that. I, I think we're the only people each other are seeing. So we don't get COVID. What's wrong with you? <laughs> You're a national treasure. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm being. We're being very safe. <laughs> All right. And you're going to go write a movie tonight? That seems like a cool thing to do. Yeah. I'm gonna try how much time does that take? Yeah. How quick can Years. I get one of those? Out? A year? Years. <laughs> are you right? Hey, by the way, are you writing a silent movie? We're writing a movie that has, uh, it, it, there is talking in it, but we are trying to, it's, it's largely, you know, we're trying to base it a lot on like old Buster Keaton movies and kind of Jackie Chan films and have it a lot of big physical set pieces where the humor is not necessarily coming from the dialogue, but from what's happening. in uh, the movie. Yeah. I don't want to be in any movies cause I don't want to memorize lines, but a movie like that, I'll be in. I can, I can like right <laughs> silent movie. Very just great. call me a lot of, a lot of running around. <laughs> yeah, watch me. Look at this. Watch this face. I do. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right, then we'll put fun. it on the screen. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah okay. What the fuck is that? Yeah. All right. Listen, go have fun. I will. Go write, go rub your beard, go smoke weed, do whatever the fuck you like to do, all right? Seth Rogen, everybody. All right. Thanks, Seth. Bye, Seth. Bye. There he is. Look at Seth Rogen. He killing it. Yeah, I was watching him. He was like in love with that beard. He's combing it forward. He's, full, you know, pulling it back. He's twirling it. Yep. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, that's why I can't have a beard because I tug on it all. You know what I do? Whenever I let my beard grow, because I started like, growing my facial hair a little bit but like so whenever i just let it go for a couple of weeks uh-huh. i do this thing where i lay in bed and i pull out the hairs by hand i pluck oh. them out and i did it so much that i had a big hole in you my had beard. a bald spot a bald spot wow and yeah and i love the sensation of pulling the hair out of my face yeah, I always notice that when the guys have that facial hair, they're involved with it. You know what, though? Letterman doesn't really rub it that much. I, I No? You know, I'm very proud of him. I, I think it's his greatest accomplishment. After all the stuff he's done a lot. His beard he doesn't sit there. To him. That's right. Wow. Well, Interesting, anyway. though, the, the, you know, you don't think of one of those movies taking years. To write? To write, yeah. Yeah. I think writers are very underappreciated in general. Like, you know, you go to the Academy Awards and you see, you know, Brett Pitt. Right, you're you all see. about the performances, right. Yeah, even on Saturday Night Live, like when um, when Colin Jost was talking, I was like, yeah, you know, the guys who are sitting there racking their brains writing, you know, all the time, like the guys on our show, they write, they work. I, the, the writers on our show work around the clock. They really do. They're great. And that's why you hear so many, uh, you know, funny bits and things. But uh, it, it's a tough profession. Just sit there and crank shit out all the time. Yeah. And uh, writers aren't all that much appreciated, I think. Even I know. By Hollywood. appreciate them more. Yeah, I feel you should appreciate them more. Not me. I'm I already gonna do. I'm going to start. I'm going to yeah. start. Yeah. I think you should be involved with writers. I'm, re- I'm with a writer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, we had quite the show today. I never got to, uh, look, I never got to, um, I have a package that is so great. It is Chris Wilding and Debbie the Come Lady trying to convince High Pitch Eric 
to let them blow him. Like he, he can How only choose one. How have been sitting on this? One day. Oh, okay. Day. It's only one day you've had it. Okay. I got this package last night and it's so good and it's so disgusting and it's so fucking weird. And you, you, you got to love high pitch. I, I should really, you know what I should do? I should suck it up and do it for you right now as a little it bonus. It sounds wonderful. But I'm also very tired and, and Beth's upstairs and I know that I got that bagel with the peanut butter on it. Uh oh. Mm. <laughs> We're competing with the bagel with peanut butter? Uh, yeah, I'm like sitting here going, <laughs> should I really sit here and do this for people? Or should I be selfish and go upstairs and eat? I mean, I've been talking a long time. It's enough. The interview with Seth was really amazing and very detailed. I love that guy. And you did keep him from smoking that joint. <laughs> I said to myself, uh, I would be so proud of myself if I could engage <laughs> Seth Rogen in a conversation and he didn't have the need to smoke the weed. Yeah. And I was watching. Because he was already, he had his ashtray there. Yes, he his did. His joint was there. But I had, I, 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 I was very proud of myself that I could be engaged in a conversation with Seth where he didn't want to smoke weed. I did not know that was happening. There's about 10 different radio shows going on on my head during the radio show. <laughs> so this competition, you didn't even let us in on. Right. By the way, uh, Seth Rogen was so inspiring about writing a movie. I imagine many people in our audience now want to write a movie. And on our phone is Gary Delabate, who now who? wants to write a He's on Gary Delabate Baba Booey is on the phone. Wow. Gary, you want to write a movie now? You know, it's, you, know, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Great job, Ross, going over some <clears throat> some ideas you've had in the past. So I'm thinking, like, imagine if these masks, imagine their detriment. kind of harks back to the Twilight Zone. Remember when they became the mold of what the mask they were wearing? Like, could you imagine if the whole planet... Hey, Gary, I don't have all day for your ideas. I mean, I, I <laughs> have to go. He's writing. Go, go make your movie, Gary. <laughs> and then I was thinking, like, if we took, like, if the vaccine, if a vaccine for the coronavirus. He's going to go on for a while. Okay. All right. I know. That, he's got lots you. of premises. No movie. All right. Let's end the show with King of All Blacks. What's up, pal? Okay. Hey, hey, that was a good interview. Very good interview. I like that guy. I like that guy a lot. Hey, listen. Um, Ronnie's, uh, Ronnie's girlfriend, if you think about it mentally, she got turned on and started passing away. I'm done, are you? Yeah. Because of the connection. Just listen. Just, wait, 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 oh, wait. Thank you. Is this better? <laughs> Is this better? Get out of here. Why can you always fix it? Why can't because you come I'm on and just already and have your I phone all set? All right, quickly, go ahead. Now it works. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Ronnie's wife, I mean girlfriend, Fiance. And Beth, in a way, fiance. <laughs> She's still a fiance. <laughs> but listen, so they so they got turned on by a gangster that kidnapped a woman and held a prisoner. So when when Ronnie's girlfriend got turned on by that, she wasn't having sex with Ronnie. She was having sex with the guy in the movie. 
So what? Ronnie just happened to be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ronnie benefited uh, very greatly by that. Oh, so much. Yeah. That's right. By the way, why are yeah, you in a yeah, car? Yeah, Where are you going? I mean, you don't have to be anywhere. I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts and get a coffee. I got like a little routine. I try not to interrupt it, but I always wear my mask. I don't understand why people don't wear masks. That shit is crazy. It sure is. People be talking to you with that shit on their neck. Like it, the, the mask is on their neck. Right. Somebody <laughs> and, wrote and, a, a, and, Twitter, and a Twitter thing that said, uh, that's, I think it was Andy Richter. He goes, that's like um, wearing a condom on your chin or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I think that's what he said. It was, it was yeah. really good. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Young black, young black dudes, and, and they don't give a fuck about a man. I've never uh, seen anything like it. I know what he wrote. <laughs> it's like wearing a condom on your balls. That's, That's what, what I means. thought it was. I wasn't yeah. sure it was the chin. Yeah, I, I thought it was the I'm, balls. I'm woozy. Uh, well, King, you should um, uh, certainly, uh, all people of all races should be wearing their mask. Yes, yes, but it's hard to get young black people, like young people in general. But if you go to the inner cities, because I ride through there, you don't see not one mask, and it'd be a thousand people in the street. Not well, have you ever said to some of the young brothers that you said. are highly affected by this. Right. Have you said to some of the young brothers there's an inordinate amount of COVID in, um, in the inner city? <laughs> Have you stopped and, and discussed this with some brothers and said, uh, hey, guys, uh, uh, you should be wearing your mask, especially uh, in the inner city. Or ask them if they need Let a mask. You, you, see a, yeah. you see a nigga with a pit bull, you don't do nothing. No, listen. Right. We don't Let have to go there something. with that. Okay, yeah. Well, Bye-bye. Right, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. Listen. <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen to the... Hang up. I'm hanging up. Thank you. Hang up. <laughs> we said that, Gary. Hang up. Yes. <laughs> Please hang up. Yeah, you couldn't take it, huh? He just talks in circles. <clears throat> he doesn't I, I, really he, have an agenda. <clears throat> yeah. He doesn't. And and you know what? Uh, he knows every fucking time he calls, he's got that headset on, and he knows it doesn't work. He could just pull over and talk to you. All right. Look, I know, I know. It's so frustrating. Like, why every time? We have to say we can't hear you, and then he makes it better. It, it drives yeah. me crazy. It does. But I don't know. I can't resist picking up on him. Um, You want to let Jeff the drunk say something? He's been trying to call all week. Okay. All right. Let's end with him. All right, Jeff, you're on. Hey, Gary. I think you ought to take some edibles. Let Thank me you. Your knee. Hello? Uh, Jeff is saying you should take edibles for your bad knee. For your knee. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jeff. You really should. Jeff is a doctor. That was a bad one. <laughs> yeah. Imagine getting medical advice from Jeff the drive. Things have worked out so well for him. All right. You know what I'm going to do? Because I'm going to call it a day. I'm going to give you a tease. When we do our next show, I'm going to start the show because it is Quite something where Debbie the cum lady and Chris Wilding compete to win over high pitch Eric. All right. I got to hear this. I got, I can't imagine who was there a clear winner. Yes. Okay. Yes, there was. 
and each one is trying to convince Eric that they're better at blowing him. All right. And it's very sexual. It's very disgusting. <laughs> and it's very listenable. All right. All right. So that's something tea. to live for. Something to live for. Don't move from your radio lest you miss it. <laughs> and listen to Sirius XM because uh, I think they're doing a great job. I'm going to compliment this company because I am spending more and more time listening to Sirius XM. Yeah, I got to start checking out some of the newer stations. They've got a whole bunch. I am uh, very much into, uh, I mean, always uh, lithium. But uh, lately, that spectrum, they just hit. Has gotten you, huh? The music mix is so good. Between oldies and new music, I always like that. I love, listen, I love 90s. I love a mix, yeah. I love 60s, 70s, all that stuff. But then they throw in a couple of new tunes, and uh, it's a perfect blend. So my compliments to them. And if they ever bring back the um, Deep Cuts channel, I love that channel. I love Deep Cuts, too. But it disappeared because I think they got the Queen channel on there now. But they, I think it's coming back, Deep Cuts. Howard, but, Deep Cuts is um, is still available on the app. Yeah, I know, but I don't have, I mean, I have an app, but I don't know how to make that all happen. There's so many, Howard, there's like 10 times more channels on the app. There's so many great channels that are on the app that you would love. And you can play them through Alexa or you can play them through your Sonos. Yeah, I don't have Alexa and Sonos. So, but I, but I do, I do on my phone have the app and I guess I could put it through my Apple TV and then it'll come yeah. in with speakers. Yeah, I could do that. Maybe I'll do that. No, just download the app for your Apple TV. You don't have yeah, to I do have it through your phone. So then just go in there. The channels are, are all in there. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> as you know, we're Sirius XM Pandora now. I know. I see that on the, uh, screen. Yeah, Pandora. And we have Stitcher, whatever that is. I don't even know what that is. We have so many names now. It's here's our name. That is. is that the podcast thing? Yes, major it's, podcast company. Yes, we're Sirius XM Pandora Stitcher Moonves Chen uh, <laughs> is our official name now. All right, uh, we'll uh, talk um, again, and we will start with High Pitch Eric and Debbie the Come Lady and Chris Wilding. All right. All right. Wear your masks. Goodbye. Adios.